you have your Bibles, grab them and go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 6 this evening. Matthew chapter number 6 for our time together around the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 6. And uh, thank you, Pastor Chapel. Thank you, Dr. Getch, Dr. R, and uh, West Coast Baptist faculty and staff for the privilege to be with you this evening. Matthew chapter number six is where you'll find your place this evening. Aren't you thankful to be serving Jesus in this generation? These are exciting times. There's, there's no better time to serve Jesus than this time right now. You believe that? For a variety of reasons. First, because the need is great. That's why. The need is great. And, and the darker the night, the brighter the light. And second, because I believe more than any other time in the history of the world, we are living in the final seconds of Jesus' return. I, he, he might come before we get done tonight. That'd be okay with me. Might not be okay with you, but it'd be okay with me. Maybe you're thinking, I want to finish school, I want to get married, but seeing Jesus is better than all of that, I promise. We are living in a great time to serve Jesus. Here's another reason why, because people more than any other time are looking for answers. They don't have the answers. The world can't offer them the answer. The world has never been able to offer them the answer. But the Word of God holds the answer that the world needs. And you and I are privileged to be able to hold the Word of God. So the world needs the answers. They know they don't have them. And you and I are holding the Word of God in our hands. We have the answer that the world needs. And so all we simply must do is fulfill the commission that God has given to us. Go and preach and baptize and teach. And He'll take care of everything else. That's what we're going to see tonight. Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number six, I, I know something that is true about virtually everyone in this room. I do not know this because I'm spying on you in any kind of a way. I do not know this because of a special pastoral prophecy in any uh, di divination that's been given. I know this because I know the word of God. And this is what I know about you. And this is what's also true about myself. You're worried. You're worried about something. Could be one thing, could be a thousand things. But virtually every person in this room is worried. And you and I are anxious people. There's a variety of reasons why we worry. We won't take that element here this evening, but. But think of it, you, you wake up 10 minutes late, worry starts to set in. You wonder if you're going to make it to class on time. You wonder if the teacher will be merciful and kind. You wonder if the teacher will be harsh and they'll give you the tardy. You're worried. You worry about running late. We worry about traffic. We worry about weather. We worry about grades. We worry about the classes we have this semester. We worry about the teachers that we have. You've already been asking around your dorm, trying to get the inside scoop on what this one teacher is like. And you didn't like what you heard, did you? You got the tea and you didn't like it. 
We worry about our dorm supervisors. We worry about our roommates. We worry about getting married. We worry about getting in ministry. We worry about whether we're ready to get into ministry. We worry. We walk by a mirror in a hurry because you're running late, you catch a glimpse of yourself, and you're not sure that you like what you see. The acne on your forehead, perhaps, or the wrinkles on your skin, or the, the extra pounds on your waist, and you start to worry about all these things. If that's not enough, you start to worry about all the things on your to-do list. You have to check your emails and answer the phone call and write the paper and, 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 and turn in the assignment and you have to clean the dorm and make the bed and take care of the chores. This is all before you even made it out of your room. This is before you've even brushed your teeth or perhaps even checked your phone. That, that's, a, that's a whole nother set of worry, is it not? You checked your phone to see pictures bouncing back and forth between your friends and you start to worry. You, you worry if you'll be friendless. You worry if you'll measure up. You worry if you'll be light. You worry if someone will think you're ugly or pretty. You're worried if someone will affirm you. All of this and you haven't even gone to breakfast. We like to worry. Someone said, and I think appropriately, they said worry is simply defined as anxiety being lived out the future before it arrives. Anxiety living out the future before it arrives. Isn't that worry? Worry is what if this happens? So that's another definition. What, what if he gets hurt? What if the job doesn't go well? What if the conversation turns ugly? What if I get sick? What if the test results come back poorly? What if the surgery doesn't go well? What if the grades aren't? What I thought they were going to be. What if? Can you relate to any of that this evening? If you can, the Word of God has a word of encouragement for you. Hopefully by now you found your place, Matthew chapter number 6. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse number 25. These are the words of Jesus in the greatest sermon that has ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount, at least the greatest sermon ever recorded for us by the lips of Jesus himself. It says in verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, and take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? 
And, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our hearts and our lives. Strengthen us with your word. Encourage us tonight with your word. And set our affections on your word. Cause us to submit our emotions to your word and help us. Help us in our lives to seek you first in all that we do. Because you, you first sought after us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. If you're worried tonight, here's the good news. The good news, according to Matthew chapter number six, is that Jesus can help you. Jesus can help you. The, the help found for us from Christ is simply this. Put first the kingdom of God. If you put first the kingdom of God, then he will supply all that you need. He will supply all that you need by way of security. He will provide all that you need by way of happiness or fulfillment or contentment. He will provide all that you need by way of grace and assurance. It's interesting that when Jesus talks to those who are finding themselves filled with worry and distress and anxiety about what they are being called to as disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't simply look at them and say, stop worrying and get over it. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that he is very kind and considerate and, and pastoral? He is the good shepherd who leads us on the way of life. He knows how we feel. He understands that we are frail. He knows the insecurities that we have. He understands us. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet. He was without sin. Aren't you thankful that this is the Jesus that we serve? 
that he's aware, that he's concerned. He has, you have your attention. He has his eyes on you. That this is the infinite God that we serve this evening. Not that you come to God and stand in line and wait your turn. No, no, no. God can hear you. God does hear you and you and you and you and every one of us. This is the infinite God that we have, that you can cry out to God from your city and I can cry out to God from my city and you can pray to God from your house and I can pray to God from my house and you can speak to God in your language and I can speak to God in my language and he hears it all simultaneously and brings it all in and can meet the need of the heart of every single one of us. That's the God that we serve. This is why the Apostle Peter is saying, no, no, take all your care, take all your worry, take all your anxiety, take all your anxiousness and bring it and cast it onto the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares for you. In, in the situation you find yourself in, in the frustration that you find yourself in, in the circumstance that's in front of you, in whatever waits for you next week, God cares for you. Never forget that. Never forget that God has never forgotten you. He's a friend, the Bible says, that sticketh closer than a brother. Your mom and dad may abandon you. Your son or your daughter may leave you. Friends may forsake you. Pastors may disappoint you. Spiritual leaders may let you down. The world may turn against you. Friends may walk out on you. But you have a loving heavenly father who will never leave you and who will never forsake you. That's the God that we have. That's the God that we serve. Jesus here, understanding the weakness of his disciples, understanding the weakness that they're feeling in the call that he is giving to them in this moment, comes to them and understanding their weakness, he, he leads them into overcoming their worry. He's applying the medicine of his words to the needs of of their heart. It's really seen in a few ways. I'll give them to you just very simply this evening. First, how, how do we overcome the worry we feel? Here's the first one. Set your faith on Jesus Christ. Remember the God that we serve. The God who pays close attention to the flowers of the field. The God who pays close attention to the birds of the air. The God who pays close attention to all of these things. But not just the God who pays close attention. The God who knows how to meet the need. Look what he says in verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body and what ye shall put on. Is not the the life more than me and the body more than raiment. You hear what he's saying? He is saying, you and I do not have to spend our time worrying about the things we wear. Why? Because life is not what you wear. Life is not what you eat. Life is not these things. Jesus is helping us set our priorities straight. He says, don't live your life for food. Don't live your life for clothes. 
For most of us, this is, this is not some kind of dire situation. The, the, the sense of saying, well, I don't have any clothes to wear. That's not the need that most of us face. For most of us, it's what will I look like when I wear this? Do I have the right thing on? Does it have the right tag? Do I look nice? Will people like me if I wear this? I remember when I was in junior high school. The cool thing to do in junior high was to peg the legs of your pants. How many of you remember that? All the children of the 80s and 90s right here. So you're looking at me kind of weird like you've never heard this before, so let me just explain it. You just, you just take your pants, you cuff it over, and then you just rolled it up like this. Just like this right here. Hold on, it's been a while. Like that. You say, Dave, that doesn't look cool. I know, but it was the 90s. So, we thought it was cool. That was the cool thing to do. I remember going into the high school and everybody had their legs pegged, their pants pegged. And I remember thinking, that's so dumb. I'm not gonna do that. People going, come on, Dave, peg the pants of your legs. You'll be cool, you'll be cool. No, that's dumb, I'm not gonna do that. No, then after a few days, I gave in to the pressure, decided I was gonna peg the pants of my, the, the legs of my pants. So sure enough, I got up that morning, made the fold, rolled the cuff, went strutting into the high school. And as soon as I walked into high school, everybody looked at me and goes, you pegged the pants of your leg? The, 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 you pegged the, the legs of your pants? Yeah, they go, oh, that was, that was cool last week. <laughs> Not this week. You're a loser. And just like that, what I worried and worried and worried and worried about came to nothing. Your life is more important than the things you put on. Your life is not found in your material. Your life is not found in your possession. Clothes don't make the man. Clothes don't make the person. I, I have to add a word here because Mark Twain on this says, clothes do make the person. Naked people have very little influence in our society. <laughs> okay, that is true. That, but we're not talking about naked people, okay? I apologize, Dr. Getch, for using the word naked on the first day. <laughs> West Coast Baptist College. But after you wear something, okay? After you wear something, what you wear does not make you who you are. And Jesus is simply saying, look, look at your life. It's not made up in clothes. You're never going to look back and wish that you would have simply wore nicer clothes. One day you will die. One day your life will come to an end. Your life is more than what you wear. 
So set your faith in him. Notice what he says. Look at verse number 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet, now he's, he's giving us the contrast here. He's saying, it's not your food. It's not your clothes. Your life is so much more than these things. He says, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Not only is life too important, but you are too important. Always worrying about whether we will have enough. Always worrying if we will be enough. Always worrying if we can make enough. Always worrying if we can get enough, achieve enough, grow enough, build enough. No, no, no. This is not who we are. We are not simply these things. The world says, get things, build things, possess things, own things, hoard things, store things. You are your things. And the scripture says, no, 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 you're not your things. These things are not valuable. They have no eternal weight. They have no eternal significance. You can hoard all you want and you can entrust it to your children and your children's children. And guess what happens after after you die and you've passed on that heirloom that you thought your grandchildren were just going to love so much, they're going to sell it for a quarter at the yard sale. It all goes to the yard sale. That's what you need to know. You are not these things. And neither am I. And this is Jesus' argument. Jesus' argument is, no, no, these things are not valuable. You, you are valuable. You, you are important. You are valuable. You are important. Not because of the way you look. Not because of the things you've done. Not because of the education you have, you've attained. Not because of the successes or the failures you've had in this life. Not because of your language. Not because of your ethnicity. Not because of your family. Not because of the state. Not because of any of the things. You are valuable because you have been made in the image of the almighty God. That is why you are valuable valuable. You are valuable because God, who, who after we had rebelled against him, we'd gone our own way. We pursued our own ideas. We rejected God and sinned against him and were separated from him for all of eternity. God, that God that we rebelled against then said, no, 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 you're too valuable. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. You're valuable because you're made in the image of God. You're valuable because God God sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins to make a way possible for you and I to be with him not just for a few moments but for all of eternity think about that for just a second life is not what you own life is not what you wear these are not who you are the creator of the birds is the father to believers. He takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. I love his question. His question is simply this. Are you more than a bird? Now, I've met some people, and I'm not sure they were more than a bird. At least bird brain. 
But of course the answer is yes. Aren't you more than a bird? Of course. So look what he says. He says then, verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit into his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not yet arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye, a little faith? Take Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of all things. There have been all kinds of reports, I'm sure you've read them, that over the last few years, especially during the pandemic, that the rates of anxiety among young adults has been skyrocketing, especially among students. There's all sorts of theories for this, why young adults are more anxious than ever before. Perhaps we just don't get out enough Perhaps we live too fragile of lives. Perhaps when your life is lived in front of a screen and all you wait for is a like button or a heart button, you can't navigate the more difficult moments. Perhaps it's because there's fewer resources in the family to be able to cope. Perhaps it's because we're exposed to bad news all the time. It's probably a combination of all those factors. But the rise in worry, the rise in anxiety is real. And there is no simple fix. But the fix, according to Jesus, starts with this. It starts with good theology and good anthropology. The fix from Jesus starts with, do you know who your God is? And do you know who you are? This is what the pagans don't know. This is what the Gentiles do not know. The, the phrase here, Gentiles, literally, unbelievers. Those not in God's family. So being over anxious is a sign that there's no discipleship. It's a sign that someone is living their life concerned with what they eat, what they drink, what they wear. Those are the things that unbelievers pursue. Those are the things that unbelievers think life is all about. Their life consists of an abundance of possessions. Their life consists of materials. Their, their life consists of constant affirmation, but not the believer. The believer has set his faith in his God. He's your heavenly 
Father. God, the creator of the birds, is God the Father to believers. Do you know that tonight? So one, set your faith in God. Second, submit your emotions to Christ. This is what he's saying. He, he, he says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? I used to want to be six foot ten. My favorite basketball player was six foot ten. So I would go to sleep every night in third, fourth grade. Lord, please let me be six foot ten. I would lay in my bed and I would stretch my arms really high. Because my older brother told me, if you want to grow, that's how you grow. Older brothers... They are of their father, the devil. <laughs> My mom said, eat your green beans and you'll grow. I ate more green beans than I could possibly think of. It didn't do a thing. Five foot ten, that's what I am. With my shoes. With my shoes. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. You ever, you ever look back on a situation and think, whew, I don't know how I made it through that. It was hard, it was difficult, but worry, worry got me through those days. <laughs> Money was tight, but worry pulled me through. College was tough, but worry was my best friend. No one interviews the MVP after the game and says, well, how'd you do it? The, MP, the MVP responds, well, I studied game film, gave it 110%. I worked hard and I worried as much as possible. I worried that I might fumble the ball. I, I worried that I might break my leg. I, I worried that I might miss the shot. I worried that I might do something dumb. I tell you, all that worrying really paid off. One is the game. Of course not. No one says that. You know why? Because it doesn't do you any good. Your doctor never comes in and says, well, all we can do now is worry. <laughs> Nothing else. You know what we don't like about these verses? We don't like the fact that we are in control. We love to think we're in control. And so when we find ourselves in circumstances that remind us, they're just a, they're a small picture to remind us of how little control we really have. We don't like to be reminded of it. Of course, every parent in the room is reminded of how much control they don't have. I can't get my children to pick up their Legos. Please pick up your Legos. If you don't pick up your Legos, you're in trouble. I told you to pick up your Legos. Please, I'll give you a cookie if you pick up your Legos. <laughs> so I'm negotiating now. We don't like feeling that we are not in control. But can I tell you something about our God? Our God is attracted to our weaknesses. If we're strong, then he has a need to be strong for us. 
He's chosen the weak things of the world. He's chosen the foolish things of the world. These are the things he's chosen to confound the wise. No, no, no. When we're weak, he's strong. I don't know about you, but I want God to be strong for me. I want God to flex his muscles on my behalf because I know that I don't have the strength I need to do what he's called me to do. And so I need him to be strong. But in order for him to demonstrate his strength, I must accept my own weakness. Set your faith on God. Submit your emotions to Christ. Last one. And seek first the kingdom of God. The the command here is not to simply seek God. The command assumes the disciples of Jesus will be seeking God. The the command is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. It doesn't, doesn't mean first in order. Doesn't mean first in process. Doesn't mean first in series. It means make the priority seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Make the most important thing in your life the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Don't don't, don't make the most important thing in your life your health. Don't don't make the most important thing your family. Don't don't, don't make the most important thing your marriage. No, no, no. Make the most important thing in your life the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. To put anything ahead of God and his kingdom. To put anything ahead of the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the worst thing that you can do. So as you build your family, seek first the kingdom of God. As you grow your career, seek first the kingdom of God. As you add to your possessions, seek first the kingdom of God. Whatever you choose to do with your schedule or your time, seek first the kingdom of God. However much money you get, seek first the kingdom of God. Whatever church God calls you to pastor, whatever field God calls you to mission on, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The the kingdom of God can simply be understood for us at this time as allowing the rule of God in our hearts. There is a coming kingdom. 
It's understood in the Bible as a millennial kingdom where we as believers will rule and reign with Christ at that time. But this is not that time. So how, if this is not the millennial kingdom, Christ isn't ruling from Jerusalem, how then are we supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God? Simply, we are to be seeking the kingdom of God by allowing God to rule in our hearts. It, it would mean remaining sensitive to the word of God and remaining sensitive to the will of God. Jesus isn't saying that having possessions or material things or clothes or food, he isn't saying this is wrong. He's, he's saying, of course, this is necessary. God knows this is necessary for life. Jesus is challenging us to see that there is a better treasure than those treasures. There's a better possession than those possessions. And Jesus wants us to have a pilgrim mindset. If we were to pack our bags and someone would say, okay, well, you gotta, you gotta walk from here to, to San Diego. The first thing you would do is you'd pack light. You wouldn't wanna take a lot with you. You wouldn't want a bunch of things weighing you down. The second thing you would do is you'd make sure that along the way you didn't build any castles. Because you'd know that you're always headed somewhere else. In fact, what you'd be sure to do is send your greatest treasure ahead. This is what Jesus is helping us understand as it relates to seeking first the kingdom of God. He says, replace the Gentile pursuits with a godly pursuit. Replace pagan pursuits with the pursuit of Christ. Make that your priority. Make the rule and the reign of God in your heart and in your mind. Make that the goal of your life. Introduce people to the king. Take time to get people into the kingdom. Train people to live according to the kingdom. You do, do that. And if you do that, that will be a good and full life. And then he ends with this. He says, verse 34, So take therefore no thought for the morrow. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That seems like a strange concluding argument. Cheer up. Don't worry. Tomorrow could be terrible. <laughs> it's not exactly what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying something more like this. Today's grace is sufficient for today's trials. Tomorrow's grace will be there for tomorrow's trials. God will have a new grace waiting for you when you get there. That's why the line 
sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We said anxiety is living out the future before it arrives. You're living on troubles from Wednesday, but you're only on Monday. You haven't gotten to the graces of Wednesday yet. You're living in the trials of three years from now. When you haven't got to God's mercies from three, for three years from now. His mercy is new every morning. So what will happen tomorrow? Well, a thousand things could happen tomorrow. Could be good, could be bad, could be neither. Could be diagnosis, could be accidents, could be jobs, could be tests, could be awkward conversations, could be plenty of celebration. We don't know. But here's what we do know. There will be new mercies from the Lord when you wake up tomorrow. The steadfast love of our God never ceases. Our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never closes his eyes. He never nods off. He doesn't just take the day shift or the night shift. He works every shift. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't just some self-pep talk. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, look to Jesus. He sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. We have a sympathetic high priest who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. And whatever trials and whatever troubles may await you in the morning, know this, my friend. Jesus will meet you there. So no need to worry. Seek first the kingdom. Submit your emotions to Christ. And set your faith. Set your faith on God and his word.